So after a three-week break, tonight we return to our series in Proverbs. Just in case we've forgotten, let me remind us what this series is all about. The book of Proverbs is found in the Old Testament, and it's a book full of wisdom. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is flooded with how-to and self-help guides. They come in all forms of books, magazine columns and blogs. You can watch YouTube videos on every topic you can think of, from work to relationships to money to parenting. I'm sure nearly all of us will have Googled something in the last week or so looking for advice. The truth is that life can be confusing and we often want help to navigate it well. And the good news of the Bible is that God loves us so much that he takes the initiative to respond to the needs of his people. And the book of Proverbs reminds us that God has not just left us alone to steer our own way through life. Instead, he's come and given us his instruction manual on how the world that he made works. Wisdom in the Bible is a series of instructions rooted in practical common sense. If we follow God's wisdom, we really will live our lives to the full. God never promises that life will be easy. We all know that from experience. But if we follow his guidance, we will become more and more skilled at dealing with all those things that life throws our way. Importantly, wisdom in the Bible works a little bit like an apprenticeship. We are learning from the master. We're trying to copy his example set before us as it is in the pages of scripture and in the life of Jesus. And we start to become wise when we act on God's guidance with our eyes and our ears and our mouth and our heart and our hands and our feet. You see, the wisdom of Proverbs is not just for reading and memorizing. It will only ever benefit us when we start to do it. And the more we do it, the more it will shape our character to become more and more like God. Now, the wisdom that we find in Proverbs covers many different topics and will benefit us in many different locations. Our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our church. But throughout this series so far, we have learned that all this wisdom always begins in one place. Wisdom begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, what that means is that we start to become wise when we have an awe and a reverence for God, the creator of all things. We start to become wise when we have an awe and a reverence for God who is holy and reigns over all things. We start to become wise when we have an awe and a reverence 
to the God who is the judge of all things. And one day we will need to stand before him. Wisdom begins when we bow our hearts before this majestic yet merciful God. Recognising that he is God and we are not. And we need his help and his guidance to steer us through life. Now the guidance that we're looking at today in Proverbs 6, 1 to 19 is actually a short interlude in a much longer section of Proverbs. The chapters that are around this are actually all about adultery. And when you're reading through Proverbs, it's quite hard to explain why these verses appear where they do. They they seem to jar a little bit. But perhaps in that, there is a warning to us. I think we know that the church today often makes a big deal about sexual sin. At times, we only ever seem to talk about that. We're often prone to judge it a little bit more harshly than other types of misbehaviour. But Proverbs warns us that we're not to become so blinkered. There are many other temptations that we can fall for in life that will damage us and harm our neighbours and cause offence to God. Proverbs is particularly aimed at younger people heading out into the world for the first time. And today we're going to hear warnings about poor use of money, laziness, and aggressive behaviour. And all of these are just as relevant to us today as is the issue of adultery. Perhaps a little bit more so for those of us here a little bit older in years. So tonight we're going to listen to the wisdom that we need to avoid these three forms of foolishness. And when we leave this place in about 20 minutes time, we will then try and put what we hear tonight into practice. So the first warning that we find in this passage makes up verses 1 to 5 and is a warning about a particular poor use of our money. This is a warning about the foolish move of becoming a speculator. Let's listen to a little of the text again, verses 1 and 2. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbour, if you've shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Now what these verses are teaching is, That we're not to stand surety for a large debt. We're not to offer our own property as collateral in a contract. We're not to become guarantors of big loans. Now as friends and family members, we may instinctively want to be generous. But if you're inexperienced in the financial ways of the world, we may quite easily commit ourselves beyond what we can afford to lose. And when that happens, we can quickly be led into a position of poverty or debt. I think we can all agree that this warning about entering into unmanageable debt is clearly a very sensible one. It's a simple warning 
against foolish behaviour. But we do need to be a little bit careful here. These verses are not an argument against generosity. They are not a ban on us sharing our resources with the poor. Because the Bible is full of instructions telling us to be open-handed towards those in need, to be compassionate towards them. But when we do give to the poor, we are to do it without expecting anything back. And there is a clue in these verses as to what God is really warning us about. In verse 1, the text speaks of shaking hands in pledge with a stranger. Now, why on earth would you stand surety for the large loan of somebody that you do not know? That's a very risky thing to do. Well, in reality, there's only one reason why you would behave like that. You would do it if you were in the business of speculation. If you gave out your money with the demand of a financial cut on the repayment of the loan. I will guarantee your loan of £10,000 if you pay me £2,000 for doing so. That's speculation. And it was happening in the ancient world just as it does in the world today. And in God's eyes, this form of financial behaviour is not only very risky, it takes advantage of the poor. It takes advantage of those who are in the dire straits that they need a loan in the first place. And exploiting those who are in need is something that God is vehemently against. Now, I don't know about you listening to this, but this is not really a sin that I'm often tempted by. I, like many of us here, do not have the financial clout behind me to be guaranteeing many large debts. But there is something in these verses that remains very relevant to us. Let me read a little bit further. Verses 3 and 5. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion. Give your neighbor no rest. And now no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. I wonder how many of us in this room have ever made a rash commitment. Maybe in the heat of the moment we made a promise that in the cold light of day we know we're always going to struggle to keep. Maybe it's something as simple as double booking ourselves for two important events that take place at the same time. I have definitely done this. In fact, I am so bad at saying no to people, I can end up doing this multiple times a month. Well, Proverbs here teaches us what to do when we've made a rash commitment. <coughs> when we've overcommitted ourselves to something that we can no longer keep. Whether that be financial, as it is in the original context, or whether that be otherwise. What are we to do? Well, we are to deal with the mistake as quickly as possible. We're not to leave it and just hope that the situation goes away, because it won't. We are to do what we can to disentangle ourselves, 
even if that means eating a large slice of humble pie. Now, our world today never likes to admit a mistake, does it? We all like to pretend that we're faultless. We like to project this persona of uh, like perfection. And for this reason, we can be very slow to apologize. Sometimes we try not to apologize at all. But Proverbs says, if, if we've overcommitted ourselves, we're to be honest. We're to go and find that person that we're going to have to backtrack with and apologize to them. And we're not to rest until we've done so. And this is just common sense. It's simple prudence. When we're honest, when we apologize, we free up our relationships again. We allow them to get back on an even keel rather than prolonging the damage of deceit. So the advice we find in these verses works whether we've overcommitted ourselves financially or whether we've overcommitted in another way. We are to recognize the mistakes that we make in life and try to put them right as quick as we can. Don't put your head in the sand. Apologize and deal with it. It's foolish to be a financial speculator. It's foolish to make rash commitments and not do something about them. We would be wise to listen to this and do something about this advice. Now, the second warning that we find in this passage makes up verses 6 to 11. This is the warning against laziness. We are not to become known as a sluggard. I love that word, sluggard. Many times in this book, Proverbs warns that laziness is a temptation ready to distract all of us from the path of wisdom. We all know how tempting it is to stay in bed of a morning instead of get up and face the day. We particularly know how tempting it is to postpone a decision or an action until another time in the attempt to get out of something that's difficult. And the common sense instruction in these verses is that if we keep allowing ourselves to be lazy, in the end, we're going to damage ourselves. Quite simply, laziness amounts to an abandonment of responsibility, and it's stupid. If you keep staying in bed when you should be at work, don't be surprised if you lose your job. And then don't be surprised if you start running out of money. And don't be surprised when you start getting hungry, when your food reserves get low. And of course, lazy people in this position often end up as a bit of a drain on their friends and their neighbours and the wider community. And that stirs up resentment. It's foolish. So in these verses, Proverbs warns us against lazy behaviour. And it does this by asking sluggards to consider the humble ant. An ant is seemingly small and insignificant, yet it's incredibly industrious. And as a result, it achieves things way beyond its size. An ant works hard without needing constant supervision and chivying up. It's self-motivated. And as a result, has what it needs. Let me read the verses again, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. 
has no commander, no overseer or ruler. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. As we think about those words for our lives today, I'd like us to think a little more deeply about that short parable. I think that the majority of people in this room do not need to be told to work harder. In fact, I know that many of the people in this room are frenetically busy and at their wit's end already. For some people here, we need to hear the teaching about rest and Sabbath just as much as we do about laziness. But this parable teaches us that we can be immensely busy in life, yet guilty of a lack of foresight. The parable tells us that the ant gathers its food at harvest, so it has plenty for the winter. This is wise behaviour. So those of us who work hard and spend hard can end up just as foolish as a lazy person. There is a lesson about saving here. There is a lesson about being prudent with the resources we earn. It's there if we take the time to look at it. You know, the Bible teaches us that actually there's a spiritual dimension to our work. The book of Genesis tells us that God created human beings so that we might look after his world. We are to work tending creation so that the environment around us flourishes. The Bible also tells us that God made us in his image as creative men and women. He wants us to work with our talents to bring beauty to the world. Now, if God has made us to work in these ways, to be lazy is to refuse the opportunities that God gives us to use our hands for him and for others. You know, you may have retired from work at 65, but you never retire from God's service. He always has a purpose for you. You're always valuable and have something to offer for him. There's always a chance for you to bless those around you and bring honour to God. I was struck by something I read this week. It was two biologists who had dedicated their working life to the study of ants. Let me read a few words to you. This is what they wrote. Human beings are the first species to become a geophysical force altering and demolishing ecosystems and perturbing the global climate itself. If all humanity was to disappear, the remainder of life would spring back and flourish. The mass extinctions that we now see underway would cease and the damaged ecosystems would heal and expand. But if the ants disappeared, the effect would be the opposite. It would be catastrophic. Species extinction would increase with even more than the present rate. Land ecosystems would shrivel if the resources provided by these humble insects were pulled away. Let's not despise lowly ants, but honour them. For a little while longer at least, they will help to hold the world in a balance of our liking. And they will serve as a reminder of the wonderful place it was when we first arrived. What those 
what that, the biologist is saying is that an ant might be small and humble, but collectively with the work they do, sustains the world around them. And the same is true for our work as Christians. We are to never underestimate the value of humble work. God gave us work to do. And as we serve God, our neighbours benefit. We saw that in the Ukraine video. Our world benefits. So if we lazily fold our hands and have an extra snooze, not only do we turn down the opportunities that God has for us, not only do we damage ourselves, but we also harm those around us who could benefit from our God-given work. Again, this is wise advice. Let's learn from the ant. So we've heard a warning about speculators and sluggards. The final warning in these verses is about scoundrels. Let me read a few of these verses to you again. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes and a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes and feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict (coughs) in the community. (coughs) When we follow God's wisdom in the Bible, The outcome is that we're always shaped to become more like him. (coughs) Scripture says that when Jesus came to earth, he was the full personification of wisdom. So the wiser that we grow as believers, the more like Jesus we become. And in the gospel, Jesus revealed God to be just and compassionate and good and true. In the gospel, Jesus revealed that God would go to any length to make peace, even the cross. (coughs) Yet Proverbs tells us that scoundrels and troublemakers and villains act in the exact opposite way to Jesus. Rather than being just, they are corrupt. Rather than being compassionate, they are malicious. Rather than working for good, they plot evil. Rather than speaking truth, they utter words of deceit. Rather than making peace, They stir up conflict. And there's something very serious said to scoundrels who behave like this. A stark warning to those who damage others and break down the community. Because whereas the speculators that we met in verses 1 to 5 get the chance to humble themselves and step away from their loans. And whereas the sluggards that we read after that can learn from the ant and change their behaviour and start to do a bit of work, the scoundrels will become overcome by disaster in an instant. Destroyed without remedy. In other words, God will allow them to experience the consequence of the suffering they inflict on others. And there will not always be a chance for reflection and repentance. 
And that is a very serious warning indeed. The holy Lord God hates scoundrel behaviour. Now, of course, it's very easy for us to sit here tonight and think, well, we're not like that. You know, I'm not a troublemaker. I'm not a villain. I'm quite a good person. But note just how easily this type of behaviour can start. We can slip into it almost without noticing. Just the look of an eye here. A few little white lies there. A rash action over here when we're angry. A little bit of plotting over here. And soon we're running towards bad situations rather than heading away from them. This type of behaviour starts slowly. But eventually we realise it's taken a hold and changed who we are. To our horror, we've become a false witness, pouring out lies. To our horror, we've become a violent person, causing division everywhere we go. And of course, this is the opposite of what God wants in his world. This is the sin that he's trying to remove from it for good. And so when Jesus returns, scoundrels like these will find themselves on the wrong side of his judgment. Eternity will be a place of peace. There'll be no space for behaviour like this. So again, we'd be wise to listen to this advice and act in the opposite way wherever we can, making peace, not war. So there we have it. That's the end of God's wise advice for us today. We are to beware of being a speculator, a sluggard or a scoundrel. But remember, God didn't give us these instructions to make our lives miserable. He gives us them because he wants us to live the best lives that we can. He wants us to live life to the full and know his joy. Wise living helps us to be more like Jesus doesn't always mean that life will be easy, but it will mean that we get the most from our years here on earth. At the same time, wise living benefits those around us. It enriches the environment in which we live and it forms a powerful witness to Jesus. Truly, a wise life will please God. So let's ask for his help to start living it as we go from here this evening.